Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale, the law firm where real estate really matters. Good morning, I'm Anna Klein, a partner at Maples Teasdale. Thank you all for joining us today. I'd like to welcome our panellists. So we have Sophie Kick, Head of World Research at Savills, Vicky Cotton, ESG Direct Workman, and Malcolm Hanna, Sustainability Manager at Legal and General Real Estate. In 2005, the Who Cares Wins conference first brought together institutional investors, asset managers, research analysts and others to examine the role of environmental, social and governance value drivers in asset management and financial research. Since that time, ESG has been evolving and it's been on the agenda for responsible businesses for some years now. Even before the current situation arose, it was clear that the focus on ESG was not going to diminish anytime soon, thanks to global environmental targets, national and European legislation and increasing social pressure. Our objective today is for our panellists to share their experiences, discuss the impact of ESG on the property industry and to consider what the future might hold. We'll be leaving time at the end of the discussion for some Q&A, so please comment in the chat section if you'd like to ask the panellists any questions. And when you do post questions, can you post them to everyone so that we can all see them? Moving on to my first question, which is for Sophie. Sophie, could you please briefly explain to us the scale of the ESG challenge within the real estate industry? Yes, sure. Thank you and um, morning, everyone. So I guess I just want to start off by saying that climate change is the biggest issue facing every industry at the moment and real estate is no exception. And I say this even whilst we're in the midst of a global pandemic, uh, because actually the impact of climate change has the potential to be much more severe. You know, we know that uh, carbon emissions and uh, emissions have been rising and we also know that the pledges and the current targets set by countries across the world are still a long way short of where we need to be to meet the Paris Agreement goal to keep climate change in check. In terms of the real estate industry, a couple of key stats for you. Globally, the building and construction sector accounted for 39% of carbon emissions in 2018 that's the latest data we have um, and actually it's a similar figure for the UK as well and as well as it contributing a, a large proportion of emissions actually those emissions are still rising so the latest data showed that from 2017 to 2018 emissions from this sector increased two percent um, so I think given these stats it's not surprising that this focus on sustainability within real estate um, is gaining more traction it's it's inevitable really um, I think a couple of other things worth noting is that um, it's not just about the new development. So again, if we look to 2050, actually 80% of the buildings uh, that will be around then have already been built now. So retrofitting is as key as new construction. And I mean, it really should be at the top of every property owner's uh, and occupier's agenda. And I think we're beginning to see that. So in terms of the trends that are contributing to the rise of ESG, beyond the legislative requirements and, and this target in, in 2050, the carbon zero. What, what other trends are there that are contributing to the rise of ESG? Do you all, a question for all of you, do you think? I think it's very much a personal thing now. Looking back sort of 15 years ago, I think it was very much seen as, as something that we needed to do for legislation. And I think there's now a, a much greater personal understanding that realistically, I think we're 10 years from the point of no return on this. I, I think it's very much grasped by everybody as I say at, at a personal level it's tangible we've seen the fires we've seen the floods um, we've seen the rise in temperatures in the, in the summer 
there's much more engagement from every sector and that, that's top-down engagement stakeholders certainly requiring this of our clients of the funds there's a general acceptance that we absolutely have to act as a society absolutely agree i think um we've seen i guess over the past 12 months in particular a focus in terms of large-scale population focus on, on sort of big geopolitical issues so we've had the whole thing about climate change and some of the physical manifestations of that, some of the climate disasters, um, but also things like, you know, proliferation of things, the focus on waste plastics, we had that. We've got, you know, a whole lot of focus upon social and economic inequalities in society. So I think that whole public perception and public articulation through big demonstrations and many local authorities declaring sort of climate emergencies, um, are sort of feeding through as, as sort of as sort of fundamental drivers. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is I, I believe that the kind of battle around uh, the climate science is, is, I'm going to say it's been won. I've got to be careful, but I think it certainly moved moved forwards uh, quite a long way from where it was, um, you know, a little while ago. So I think that's um, that's another contributing factor, which is then feeding into the whole debate about, um, you know, risks, etc., which needs to be addressed by, by everybody. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's some of the factors there, I think. I would actually add that uh, I think despite worries that it might have the opposite effect, that actually I think COVID-19 is in a way contributing to bringing this to the top of the agenda. Um, you know, there was a, a lot of concern when this first hit that actually ESG would, would fall and, and interest in it wouldn't be there. But actually, if anything, we've seen interest in it increase over over the period that uh, the sort of the pandemic's been here. I mean, uh, if anything, I think what it's really shown is that these natural forces like COVID, like a global pandemic or climate change, they're real. They can happen. And, uh, you know, this sort of action that's been taken to address COVID now needs to be turned and, and needs to be focused on addressing climate change. I think Sophie's right. I think the other thing about the COVID, it kind of has almost shown as well that we can do things differently, the sort of change bit. I mean, I know I know we're still well in the woods with, with COVID, but, um, you know, the ability to think differently, do things differently, even around things like remote working, which in, in a way obviously is linked into some of the climate, uh, some of the carbon debates. Um, you know, the hope is that it does. People do get, um, you know, get, get an impression that actually change, change in some of these areas is possible. I guess it's worth saying we've got used to our fresh air as well. We've got used to a, a different way of living, and we, I think we've connected as well with with nature. A lot of us and um, the ability to exercise more and uh, and really realise what's going on around us a lot more. So um, we, can, we certainly need to to feed off that. But an interesting stat I, I read recently was the fact that even if we carried on with this level of emissions right the way through to 2050 being sort of net zero target, we still won't hit that target. So it just shows the, the massive scale of what we've got to do. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? Yeah, really puts it in perspective. In your opinion, what would a good ESG policy cover to be hitting all the uh, targets that we'd, we'd like, to, like it to be doing? I think we've evolved a lot in our ESG policy um, and in our approach to ESG policies. Um, again, I'd say sort of 10, 15 years ago, it was very much around sort of hitting um, legislative requirements, uh, generally about about reducing CRC, uh, reducing energy for CRC reporting. That, that that's grown significantly now, um, and I, I think a good ESG policy is now a long term ESG policy. Um, I, th I think as a panel, we'll refer to net zero a lot for the next the next few questions. But um, to my mind, a good ESG policy it has net zero as a foundation, as a target, a very tangible target. 
um, it starts to bring in the S, which is a challenge for all of us, but, but very much um, th there is now a focus on social, particularly as we come out of lockdown and start to reoccupy offices, that, that social piece is going to evolve quite rapidly, I think. Um, but yes, to, to my mind, it, it's, it's a long-term policy, it's got long-term targets, it's also got targets that reference the type of asset that you're managing, reference your own priorities, um, and, and to some extent it, it picks off the pieces that you know that you can do first and foremost, um, and, and builds towards, towards the rest, but certainly focused around net zero. I completely agree and I think it's about focusing on sustainability as a whole so yes addressing the climate crisis but this is about so much more it's about health and well-being it's about community engagement um, it's about sort of ensuring that we have an inclusive society and actually I think that the property industry can play a big role in this you know we are providing people with places to live to work to educate um, to learn uh, th there's a lot that can be done um, and it, you know there's a lot more that we can do i'd endorse all that's been said i mean i think it is um you know as, uh, as vicky mentioned it's 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 taking a longer term view i think yeah it needs to do two, it needs to do two things it needs to obviously focus on things that are material to the business where you can actually make an impact um which is obviously you know key um but i think we do need to have that that wider view as well because obviously increasingly what we're finding is many of these things are interrelated so you know, for example, if we just if we just focus, we've got a really big focus on the carbon uh, agenda, and we have had for years, but it's, it's been rising rapidly over the past year, really. But obviously, you know, we, we can't just look at that and ignore things like health and well-being. You know? So, you know, if you make a really energy-efficient building, but if it's not going to be as healthy as it should be, or it's not going to also take on board some of the the social impact of a big retail development in the area. Um, so, it, it can need to be balanced, but at the same time, at its heart, it needs to focus on some of the things where you can really make an impact. I think that's kind of um, a summary with, with, with a longer term perspective. How did those kind of concepts fit in with your investment and management philosophy? Um, for example, Vicky, for example, in terms of asset management, how does that, those, how do those ideas flow into asset management and, and what you're doing at Workman? I think we're seeing a much greater kind of top down engagement with the whole piece. We're seeing um, shareholders uh, demanding this, we're seeing fund holder, uh, sorry, fund managers, asset managers being much more engaged in the whole process, um, and we have to also engage right the way through the, the, the whole chain of responsibility down to building managers, on-site staff who actually do the doing on on-site. Um, so, so we're seeing it very much as a as a process where we need total engagement from all stakeholders who all, who all play their part. So, ideally, the um, any policy or, or any targets, objectives for any asset will involve everybody sitting down right at the beginning and working out exactly what the plan is for, for that asset. Um, I think we'll come on to it, but, it, but it's also very much a case of in, involving occupiers, um, all the stakeholders across any asset, as we just won't get there. We'll, we'll have certain elements value engineered out or not, not deemed as important, so very much sort of total engagement piece. And Malcolm, yeah. how does that feed into your asset management and investment, I suppose? It's really a very much similar situation for us. It's, um, I mean, we, we've, I suppose, some years ago, we sort of developed this kind of, if you like, an overarching strategy, which we, we called it sort of active management around the whole sustainability piece. Um, and that, in a sense, uh, brought together 
the key roles of our managing agents. Um, but in a sense, it also it, it starts right at the you know right sort of acquisition of proxies as well. So um, in terms of the, I suppose, I and mean, actually the acquisition area has has been uh, rising up the agenda because there are new things emerging. So so for example, the, the, new, the new focus on uh, climate risk. Uh, and the need to think about how those risk profiles are changing moving forward has obviously fed into the, the way that we are acquiring, acquiring proxies. So the due diligence that needs to be done, we, we sort of in the process of changing that. So we do, for example, uh, carbon liability audits now, which um, and we're just sort of starting the process on that. And also looking at um, more detailed and forward-looking views of the risks associated with assets at acquisition. So we start at acquisition, then for us it's about them putting in place a kind of asset sustainability ESG plan uh, that, that involves all of our key our key actors, if you like, like the managing agents, the, the facilities management teams, the asset managers themselves, um, so that we we kind of have a, a whole a whole sort of view, a whole a whole uh, buy-in and responsibility around, and it links into things like targets and, and performance. Um, so so that's that's kind of how, how we try to sort of, um, and that's a philosophy that I guess we've been developing over I say over a number of years, and it just keeps it keeps rolling. So as as the the new and emerging requirements land, we then obviously have to, to look at that and revise that and renew it, update it, etc. So um, yeah, I think that's that, that, that's key there, having that whole view in terms of managing those assets. And Sophie, does that mirror what you're seeing globally? Is is the same kind of uh, consideration in investment and asset management philosophies globally, or is that a, a UK specific approach? I, I think I, ideally there would, and, um, and we'll probably come on to sort of some of the difference in uh, in global attitudes. But um, you know, the UK are um, quite advanced in this idea. They're not sort of there's a lot of countries in Europe. Uh, that are similar, but um, but I I think ideally the, the sort of the, these strategies, particularly global companies, would be applied everywhere. Yeah, that's good good news. <laughs> Great. Um, so I suppose the next question really fits in with that. How, how do you encourage your occupiers or investors or even your own team to buy into the the concept of ESG? Um, is it a difficult challenge or is it becoming easier? definitely becoming easier. Um, for, from my perspective, you talk about it a lot to everybody who will listen. Um, I, th I think um, in terms of occupiers, that's one of the biggest challenges we've got um, across the management portfolio. Something that we've absolutely got to get better at. Uh, we've started in the last couple of years, GRESP is obviously requiring now um, whole asset data, net zero will absolutely not happen without whole asset engagement um, and that means getting data from every single occupier um, to, to model exactly what an asset looks like. On some that, that will be easy. Um, we've got the engagement, we've, we've got the sort of foundation for that on other assets and it's very asset specific and um, other assets that, that's really challenging and um, traditionally we've asked, uh, we've asked nicely and I think um, I think that the stats on that are, is around a sort of 5 to 8% response rate. From, from occupiers generally. 
and this year will obviously be a lot harder, a lot more challenging, and particularly where we're going out for that date at the end of March, which is traditionally when we when we do it. Yeah. Um, I think we, we need to look at better solutions for this. We need to, again, it comes back to stakeholder engagement from sitting down with occupiers and similarly explaining our clients' goals and aspirations on, on why we're doing this um, and a much more structured approach. Technology probably plays quite a big role in that. Thanks, Vicky. Um, Malcolm, did you want to say anything on that? There's been a real increase in um, engagement by a whole range of different stakeholders, I'd say, particularly on the investment side. So we've seen a big increase even in the last 12 to 18 months in you know, requests for information from, um, from investors. Um, I would say there's a broad range of investors, so in terms of buying into ESG, so you know, we, we, we've got some that are really, really very keen on it. Um, others maybe not so much or, or just maybe not so engaged, not quite landed for them in the same way. Um, I think, you know, fundamentally on the investment side, they really want to understand, they really want to get into the nitty gritty of the rationale behind what we're doing and, you know, are we actually alive to the issues? Um, are we taking action around mitigating risks and, and also around some of the new opportunities that some of them see in this area? So I think there's that kind of focus. Um, I think in terms of encouraging people like our own team, I spoke earlier about some of the, we obviously put in place quite a lot of elements to do with contracts and um, the management of assets. So in try, trying to embed some of it into the into the day-to-day bits, which I think is, you know, at the heart of what we, we need to be trying to achieve in terms of in, encouraging buy-in. Um, I think what's interesting is as we're going through these big changes, so, so you know, the more and more I think about this, you know, you think about the whole carbon piece, it's, it's a massive, there's a massive change required. You know, we've got to, we've got to reduce um, carbon intensities by maybe 60% across our real estate. Now that is a, a really, really, really big challenge. Uh, and so we're asking people to do things very differently. And, and I think what we've, my view is to engage people, we've got to take them down the path really so we've got to try to work with them on this change and treat it as a kind of you know change process um, and give them the tools and the kind of direction they need uh, to do their day-to-day so they can start to make the connections. Now that's, that's not easy, it's, it's difficult. I think on the occupier side, um, so again, I mean, we, we've, we've had things like green clauses, sustainability clauses in our leases since um, well, for almost 10 years. Um, they get us to a certain point, but to be frank, it then still comes down to how engaged the occupiers want to be. And we've just started to do work over the past sort of six months, uh, really trying to start off some of our larger occupiers to understand how can we engage with them, how can we get around the table with them to understand what they want to achieve. Because in some cases, they're coming under the same pressures as us, you know, because we, when we think about some of the things we've got to do, we've got to do it as a kind of whole asset. Uh, we can't just do it as a landlord or an owner. We need to do it with our occupiers. Um, yeah. And this, I'll be honest, I think this is a new big chance for the whole sector. And I mean, I was, last week I was on a Better Buildings Partnership first inaugural seminar of setting up a new occupier forum um, to really get into how how we're going to do this. Uh, and we're still sort of, if you like, putting this together as we go. Um, so we can actually really get, get in with our occupiers right from the off. Um, work together 
and I think that's uh, you know that's a key key challenge really. Sophie, is that something that you're seeing globally, kind of from your bigger macro perspective? Yeah, in in my sort of role as uh, in, in global research, probably the biggest challenge that I come up against in terms of encouraging people to buy into this is actually the difference in attitudes around the world. Um, you know, I speak to to researchers from all over the globe quite regularly, um, and although we've seen sort of the Paris Agreement, which obviously has showed that the vast majority of the world are willing to commit to this, um, actually attitudes are very variable um, wherever you go. I think you could take like the, the declaration of a climate emergency, which has been mentioned already as an example. Obviously the UK was the first sort of national government to do that last year back in May and a number of countries followed suit including um, or followed by the EU in November so that's really positive for Europe but actually very few countries in Asia, Africa or South America have done the same and in the US it's a really mixed picture you've got lots of local governments declaring climate emergencies but actually at a national level you've got Trump who's actually rolling back some of the environmental protections that were already in place um, so a really sort of mixed picture there. As I said, I think I think one of the good things that the property industry should be able to do is there's a lot of global players and there's a lot of cross-border activity. And I think countries that have this sort of strong um, ESG agenda should be bringing that to, um, to to other countries and sort of setting this as a as a global strategy. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. It's going to need everybody to get involved, isn't it? If we're going to make the changes that need to, that need to be made. Um, so, in terms of other challenges to ESG, what what do you all consider to be other challenges facing ESG at the moment? Malcolm, have you got any thoughts on that? I suppose really it builds on what I was just saying a moment ago. I think I think the fun, the fundamental challenge is that it's about change, and I think in particular, um, you know, if I think about the main the main area that I mentioned earlier, that the whole climate climate uh, challenge, the, the carbon emission challenge. Um, you know, it's changed on a, on a big scale, and I think that for me is probably um, that, that that's, that's the heart of the challenge. So, you know, if you think about that, you know, when I think about real estate, you know, we're having to think about how we change, how we acquire buildings, you know, what we include in that acquisition process. On the new development side, you know, we've got this whole thing about. Um, I mean, survey kicked off some really good stats around the, the carbon emissions, the annual carbon emissions. Now, on top of that, you've got something like embodied carbon. Which in a sense isn't really being kind of properly measured yet, and yet it's a it's a huge part of the of the whole sort of building life cycle, and so um, getting that sort of um, getting a focus on new things like that, and, and, that, and that's not just you know if you take LNG, you know okay we're we're looking at it, but then it's, it's the whole supply chain thing about well you know the people working with on the design side, all the suppliers, um, that's a whole that's a whole new thing. Um, uh, and you know, I, I think kind of recognizing the fact that it's a huge change management process, and then trying to get that into business as usual, so we can so we can start to do these things as part of what we're doing. In amongst that, you know, so, so I, for me, that that's kind of almost the heart of it. Um, we've got these big big issues, so we've got you know things like um, climate change, social impact, and trying to get all of that embedded and moving forwards fairly rapidly as well. I think that probably for me is kind of generally the challenge without breaking out, out obviously there's there some real real detailed challenges in there 
and technologies and all sorts of other things. So. And Vicky, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think Malcolm's absolutely right. The embodied carbon scope three generally, I think, is is a big challenge across the whole piece. Measuring the parts um, that we're responsible for, but don't necessarily control. Um, and it's something that I think quite quite a lot of companies have kind of put put to one side as potentially kind of next phase in this whole piece that we absolutely need to embrace. We need to work out uh, and we need to make sure that there's a level playing field and we're all measuring in the same way. We're measuring the same sort of scope three um, elements to the whole piece. I think measuring social value is a challenge um, and I don't think there's a there's a clear cut way of measuring social value. Um, at, at Workman, we, we've been very focused on actually doing the doing on social value, actually implementing um, the engagement pieces across across the managed portfolio, but how we actually measure that and put some monetary value on, on what we're creating, I think remains a challenge. Um, cost, I think, generally to this whole piece, um, particularly now, I think it, it is, it, whilst there's massive engagement, I think when you look at net zero and look at what we've got to achieve and, and the changes to each and every asset that that will require, the, as, as Malcolm referred to earlier, we're looking at 60% reductions. That that doesn't come from changing light bulbs to LEDs or, or waving a magic wand. That's fundamental changes to each and every asset. And to some extent, they're changes that we absolutely need to be starting to think about now. There's, there's assets coming out of the ground where where we ha we haven't we're not thinking net zero, um, particularly across residential. I think we're still we're still building a, a huge um, proportion of of real estate that isn't going to hit net zero and, and the cost involved in kind of changing this massive ship and going off in a different direction is is really significant and needs some significant thought now I would suggest. Sophie would you like to add anything on that? I completely agree this it is a huge change that's needed um I think what I'd, I'd probably add is um I'd say each sector within real estate has its own sort of specific challenges as well added to that so for example in retail I think there'll be a focus on sort of waste to do with packaging and recycling and and that sort of thing and also supply chains were mentioned sort of getting that ethical supply chain um will be really key the other big thing that I think is often considered a barrier um, to creating more sustainable um, real estate is cost. Um, and I'd say cost can be considered a, a really big challenge. And we're often asked from clients, you know, what is the green premium that I can charge for my green building? Um, and, you know, th there is some evidence that, that there's a green premium, but I'd say there's more evidence that there's a brown discount and I think that's what people should be focusing on and we've already touched on this sort of social revolution that we've seen and we're already beginning to see that sort of of tenants uh, customers occupiers they're not going to accept real estate that doesn't fit their standards um we actually did a survey last year um, on what workers want and it showed amongst the sort of the younger age group of office occupiers environmental performance of that off of their office was an area of deep dis dissatisfaction so it's already being seen um, so actually sort of what I'm trying to get at is that the long-term costs can be much more severe so yes it will cost a little bit up front not a little bit potentially a bit more but actually the longer term the longer term costs have a potential um, to be much more significant and I think that's where the focus should be definitely and, and in terms of how we address those challenges how 
useful is technology? Does technology offer us any solutions? Over to you guys, <laughs> Malcolm. There's lots of technological innovations which are providing new solutions, if you like, new ways of doing things and will do in the future. I mean, picking out examples, you know, some of the smart technologies, new engagement platforms, getting information to people in a more targeted way, in a more useful way, you know, sort of action-based. You know, we've just been working, putting together a new platform to give us some new ESG reporting. It's not there yet, but once we've got that in place, I think that'll really, really take us forward. You've got a whole range of new um plant and equipment you've got you know things like um think about electric vehicles and the battery technology the way that's improved and that's going to get gonna and needs to improve further so we can get the unit prices down um and efficiency for uh, increased there's, there's new renewables on on, on on track you know coming along the path we've got some new pv new high efficiency pv that will be the next generation step up in in performance reduce those you know reduce the kind of return on investment um which 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 are all going to help the only thing i would say i mean i'd just say that i think so there's new technology definitely you know off-site manufacturing that there's that people are going going ahead and making steps to that but but i think there's there's loads of existing technology that in a sense already can do a lot of what we need to do to get to where we need to go so it's not as if we're sort of you know um we don't know how to do some of these things I think the issue is really, in some cases, that they're, they're, they haven't been or they're not being implemented at the moment, and they need to be. It's a bit like, um, you know, Sophie's point about the, you know, the brown premium. I mean, it's sort of saying what we need to be doing is, is and I think particularly now, um, you know, we don't, we, we can't afford to wait for new technology. We've just got to kind of get on, get on down the road with the things that we know we can do. And there's plenty of examples, um, and start to implement those now. And yet, the new technology will, will be coming to try and make new opportunities take new opportunities uh, but you know there's lots of stuff we can do um today if you like yeah i'd completely agree with that and actually you mentioned sort of off-site construction and um, this definitely isn't new technology although in the uk it's being yeah. talked about more um for example in sweden they already build 45 percent of their homes off-site um so it's yeah. it's there the technology's there and actually it's a sort of no-brainer because it not only helps with you know, being more energy efficient, less waste, etc. But it also helps uh, address other issues that the construction industry faces, like uh, labour shortages, etc. Um, so I, I think I think it's key. A lot of the technology is there, and and hopefully a lot more will come. In terms of Vicky touched on this briefly earlier. Sometimes people talk about using technology to, to measure success of initiatives, but how do you measure the impact of ESG initiatives? Is it possible, and what are we doing to do that at the moment? There's some fairly straightforward ways of doing it in terms of you know things like monitoring things that, in a sense, we're already metering. So you think utilities, you know, energy, water, um, things like that. Um, we can obviously, and I mentioned some of the you know that the, the, there's been platforms to do that for quite quite a lot for many years. Um, I think they're improving, and the ability to pull some of that data back is improving. Um, so you know, example would be you know you're monitoring properties, you're introducing a new program of maybe putting some new plant equipment and the sort of before and after measuring and demonstrating that you've you've had an impact. As that, I was going to say that's fairly straightforward. It is straightforward, but there are complications, particularly in 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 um, some of the more complex real estate situations. But but you know it's kind of doable. I think um, some of the areas that we do need new new sort of I guess data sets around things like social values. So so we're in the process of measuring 
uh, social value across across um, 20% of our assets at the moment. So we've been doing quite a lot of work in that in the past. And we're obviously using a certain framework for that. Um, but, you know, to be frank, I, I recognize the fact that many people are using different ways of measuring social impact. So um, I, I think there's, um, for us, we, we've got a method that we're, we're sort of reasonably happy with and we're going to use that to kind of baseline and move on from there. And I think, you know, people need to be trying to get into some of these areas because I do think we, coming back to the point about some of the investors in our case, you know, investors and others are quite interested in trying to measure, actually get some, we want to get some 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 stats around it. Um, and at the moment, I think, um, you know, in some areas that's easier and in some areas it's a little bit more difficult. I think a big area that's been moving in this this space is around things like, uh, we think about health and wellbeing, occupy, occupy satisfaction, the idea of gathering data at a sort of building level about comfort, um, yeah, satisfaction, et cetera. Um, and that's something that we're, we're sort of quite in, engaged in. So we've been, we've been producing some new scorecard information so we can gather data using some new technology in some cases um, to pull information back and then we can present regular views of, of how we think our buildings are actually performing on a number of levels, including energy and temperature and complaints and a whole range of other things. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it, there's some good things we can do already, but we definitely need to uh, use the technology, uh, get some new thinking to create some new metrics that we can all recognise and then act upon. So mirror your experiences as well, Vicky. Absolutely. I, I think, as Malcolm suggested, the the relatively embedded now, relatively relatively straightforward. Um, it, it it's got its own challenges, but it, it's very much accepted that we will measure energy, water and waste, um, we'll, we'll get occupiers feedback. The, the interesting piece, again, as, as Malcolm suggested, is around health and wellbeing um, and occupier experience. I think as we reoccupy offices, I think air quality will be massively important um, across the managed portfolio and understanding the air quality within any asset. And also, to a certain extent, being ahead of the data on air quality, being ahead of um, the technology that will absolutely without a doubt be in phones and um, handheld technology we we need to understand what's going on in our buildings potentially before the occupiers and we need to make sure that we're creating the absolute best environments we possibly can measuring those as a standard um, it, it's certainly coming um, so from a management a managing agent's perspective it's about it's about having censoring in building it's about understanding the data at asset level it's about control as well um, all of which I, th I think can probably be done through the same sort of technology, um, and we're seeing we're seeing demand for that or interest in that certainly growing at the moment. My takeaway tip is is that air quality will be the big thing. Sophie, how does that mirror what people are doing globally? Is is that a fairly common picture? Just a couple of points on a more general level, I guess, um, in terms of just measuring things. I would say it's not even that easy to define what net zero actually is. Um, and, you know, we've had the, the Green Building Council provide us with a, a definition that is definitely helpful. But the fact it's quite hard to even sort of articulate that um, makes the challenge very very difficult. Um, I would also say that sort of in terms of measuring people who want to be leaders in this field, it's not just about meeting the minimum requirements. So for example, getting planning permission. Uh, in my point of view, actually, the regulatory uh, environment really hasn't gone far enough. And it's businesses really that need to take this further and be leaders in, in this. Definitely. 
before we move on to our Q&A section, so if anyone has any questions for our panellists, please do start putting them in the chat box. Uh, we're just going to do uh, one last question for all of you guys, uh, which is possibly a bit unfair, but anyway, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, briefly, if you had to pick one area of ESG to focus on for the next three years, what would that be and why? Malcolm, I'll go to you first. I'd have to say it'd be the net zero carbon piece. I mean, you probably, hopefully the quality of the videos, as you can't see, I've got a full head of gray hair, but I've been, I've been sort of working away at the whole carbon reduction area for many years. And, um, you know, my feeling is that, um, and I think this is part of the climate crisis, you know, um, people said, we, you know, time, time basically is running out on some of these things. And I, and I think um, we need to get on the road to net zero. Let's put it that way. We, we're not going to get there immediately, but we need to get on the road to it within the next <coughs> short period, basically. So we've got to start doing that now because it's such a big challenge. Um, uh, we, we really need to get moving on it. So, so I think getting those foundations in now um, in order to stand the chance of, of, of you know, um, actually coming out of this uh, in somewhere that we, we, we you know, we, we, we feel we can handle, basically. So um, yeah, I think I think um, subject to the COVID, obviously ongoing crisis, that would be that would be the one area that I, I guess I'm sort of focusing on and concerned about. That makes sense, Vicky. With the risk of sounding dull, absolutely the same. Net zero is without a shadow of a doubt our, our primary focus, um, and I think I think for us as managing agents, it's, it's to be talking to our clients and making sure that we don't miss opportunities. Um, I think it's very easy to kind of think net zero 2050, although realistically it's going to be sort of 2030, 2035 from what, what we're hearing from our clients, but to think it's a long way down the line um, and it's not, it's, I think it's one major refurbishment for any asset away and, and that major refurbishment is the big opportunity for net zero, although there's lots of other things that we can be doing as well. Um, so it's, it's not to miss opportunities, but if I can have kind of one and a half, the other bit is health and wellbeing. Um, work, working the two, as I, I think both Sophie and Malcolm have alluded to, we, whilst we're focused on net zero, we can't forget everything else that's going on. And Sophie? I mean, I would echo what I've, I've just heard. I, I, I completely agree. If I was going to pinpoint down on one area that I think needs a lot more focus, um, it would be refurbishment of existing buildings, particularly residential stock. Um, I think there's a really big challenge in decarbonising domestic heating. We've got 85% of existing homes using fossil fuel based um, gas, natural gas to heat their homes. So retrofitting that is a, is a huge task. And actually the RICS uh, recently published a policy paper on it um, a, a week or two ago. Um, and I, I think there really needs to be a, a big focus on this if we're going to hit this net zero target. So if anyone would like to put their questions in the chat sidebar, that would be great. But in the meantime, I'm going to start you off with a question that we actually got emailed before the event. Um, so uh, the question was, given uh, how apparent it is that as an industry and more widely as society, we need to do more to progress diversity. Is it time to add D for diversity to ESG? Uh, anyone like to address that one? I mean, I'd say yes. I, I think yes. I, I would say that um, if you take the broader um, context of the S in ESG, the whole social piece. So we're using this thing called the, the National uh, TOMS, which is Themes, Outputs and Measures, developed by the Social Value Portal. And what I'd say is, I mean, diversity, in a sense, is already a part of that. And I think also, if you look at the, um, the UN Responsible Investment Goals, 
diversity, you know, is recognised as part of that too. So, so I think, um, I, I think, you know, the answer, the answer is yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's, um, it comes back to this whole thing about, I think, social balance, social equality, um, and trying to, you know, encourage those sorts of areas. Um, and 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 it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's another it's another part of that, I, I guess. You know, I think that's uh, that, that, that's that's important. Yes, it sounds like it falls within the S S section, and uh, it's something to focus well, on. I mean, yeah, and I mean, if and you know, I mean, I think it certainly should as well. I mean, as we know, you know, there's, uh, for for lots of reasons, it should. Um, not 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 least, you know, there's just many benefits in in, in taking a, a, a diverse view of these things. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, that, that would be my my take on it, really. I think. Okay, thanks, Malcolm. <laughs> that was a tricky one. I haven't got any more questions in the chat box. If anyone would like to put a question there, uh, we've got one uh, from Will Chambers. Sophie, you mentioned residential property urbanising, but what are commercial properties and developers doing to lead on this? And is there a way to steer them towards a more carbon considerate process? Yeah, I picked on on sort of residential because I think there's there's less talked about um, in the in terms of um, residential and sorting out. I would say actually, as Malcolm and Vicky have, have both discussed within the sort of commercial property, I think it's a much bigger topic, um, and I. I feel that sort of residential is slightly lagging behind not least because all of these homes are already built um, and the cost of um, getting them to carbon neutral and, and they don't even necessarily have a full solution an easy solution of what needs to be done whether sort of electric heat pump or some sort of hydrogen solution um, it's not clear uh, so that that's sort of why I, I, I think it's um, it, it's residential that, that I focused on but uh, I would say um I'd say that this sort of the commercial there's lots of really good examples of commercial buildings out there that that have hit net zero it's not impossible it's not uh, you know like like Malcolm said earlier the technology is there to do it um and I think it's uh, about sort of again Vicky's point sort of talking about it and make sure we keep keep being vocal about it um yeah I, I don't know if anyone else has anything to add to that I think I think the theory is completely understood across the commercial piece. We need to strip out gas and oil, um, and we need on-site renewables, uh, and we need 60% reductions. So the theory is there. Actually making that happen in practice, as we all know, is going to be a massive challenge. Um, but we know what we're aiming for, and we, we just need to get there. Just. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> So we've got a few more questions actually. So uh, Morag Beers has asked, what is the panel's experience with awareness of sustainability with developers in the UK? My experience compared to 20 years based in the Netherlands is that developers here are willfully blind to implementing sustainability. What I'd say, uh, sorry, this, it sounds a bit dull, but it's a bit of a mixed picture really. What I would say is, um, you know, my experience at LNG certainly is that some of the developers we work with are, are, are switched on to it and, and are in a sense are, are are keen to take forward and respond to what we're doing i would say you know prior to prior to i joined lng about two years ago prior to, to working with lg and also you know two years ago when we were in a slightly different place um i think my experience yeah so i did meet uh, quite a lot of people not i mean not just developers to be honest but the industry the industry has not necessarily been that rapid in coming forward in this area let's put it that way i i, I think 
I'd say certainly on the construction, the whole construction side has had a fundamental problem in that it's been driven by, if you like, a kind of compliance-based approach to development. So, you know, it's been, the point was made earlier about minimum standards, you know, have we hit the building regs? Have we hit the, the minimum requirements um, as a kind of indicator of, of, of achieving? Um, and I think um, particularly research has been done to be frank, over quite a number of decades, has shown that the buildings that were being produced, there was quite a big gap between what was being produced in reality and what was being designed. You know, the design intent and the real, the real building on the ground, there's a big gap there. Um, and there's a whole load of root causes in that that sit right across the industry in different places. And, and I think um, what I hope, I mean, and I hope and also it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a, I think it's becoming increasingly a necessity is that uh, the whole industry developers, you know, the, the people, all the supply chain around it, uh, have got to start to respond and come forward. And I think we're starting to see some signs of that. So in whole net zero piece, so, you know, we again, we, we go out, we talk to consultants and contractors and others, and some of them already know about net zero and doing work on it. I've got projects they've been involved in, and then others are maybe a bit behind the curve and are trying to, trying to get there or, or maybe even not, not getting there. Um, and from my perspective, you know, it's point we have to try and sort of help set the agenda around that and, and sort of push that on. So, so I think the answer is, yeah, it, it can be a bit tough in some areas. I think that there is a bit of an issue, um, but but you know, we, that's part of this change and part of this moving forward, really. Thank you. That's perfect. And um, we've got a question from uh, Peter Dove, which is more on the asset management side. Um, so, to stimulate tenant engagement, would you consider rent rebates for good ESG behaviour? Or just leave that to a stick method via EPC changes that are coming. Vicky or, or Malcolm, I guess, would be good. I, I'm happy. I mean, that decides. I don't want to talk all the time, but no, I think that's an interesting idea. And, and we've been having some conversations. I mean, I, I think I said in my, one of the earlier answers, you know, we're kind of um, so engaged with occupiers obviously many years, but the, I'd say there's a kind of move, got to move up a few gears now and try and um, uh, come back this slightly differently. I'd say, the idea of incentives, let's call it incentivization, um, is, 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 is probably going to be part of the answer here. Exactly how that works, I'm not sure, but you know, I could imagine that sort of thing could be part of it. Other things we've sort of actually we've done some work in would be things like um, offering our occupiers perhaps some um, investigative work, you know, maybe some auditing work, some technical input to help them understand the asset from a kind of technical point of view, what's possible, what isn't, and then maybe offering to share some investment i mean uh, you know uh, th those kind of things um possibly could relate i mean it's going to have to relate back at some point into some of the leasing arrangements and maybe the duration of leases and the, and the points where we we have to get into intervene to do some major changes to a building for example how that works in that cycle so you know the, the lease so to me there's sort of incentives the the, the lease package and, and if you like the deals around the leases um there's also things like you know, new tools and new new, new sharing of, of information and new data sharing. Um, yes, down that road, I think that, that may be that may be part of the answer to this. Vicky, is is that something that your occupiers are calling for, or as things stand today, there isn't enough engagement to, to be at that point. But I I would absolutely agree that there needs to be something in this for everybody. The long-term goal of saving the planet, there's obviously something in it for everybody. There needs to be a, a shorter-term win for occupiers to provide this data. And as a managing agent, our only tool, I guess, is the engagement piece and making it as simple as possible. And that's what we're trying to do, but particularly through sort of tenant apps and, 
uh, an ease of providing data uh, and almost uh, in quite a lot of cases going out and getting that data ourselves so reading the meters ourselves going in talk sitting down with occupiers that that's kind of our suite of tools at the moment come back to the fact that this needs this needs progressing and it needs some real thought um, and yes definitely some some kind of um, incentivizing to make this happen a lot better and then I think I'll just take this one last question which Sophie I'll address to you first if that's okay um, so it's from Matt Weaver and he's saying what do panelists think the biggest current pitfalls and misconceptions that they see property developers and managers are falling into with regards to ESG so I think that particularly with the um, carbon zero, um, net zero thing, it's about not thinking about it early enough in the process uh, for developers. So it, more collaboration is needed really, really early on. You know, everyone needs to be involved. It's the engineers, it's the architects, the contractors, looking at the supply chain and, and really planning this from the very offset. I think I'll often hear anecdotally that that they'll bring in people too late into the process where the plans are already drawn up and they, they can't be changed. And, and um, yeah, so I'd say that sort of early planning is, is critical. Vicky or Malcolm, do you have anything to add on, on that point? 2050 feels like a long time away. The, the message is it has to start now. Yeah, it's start now. And, and I think also it is this, and again, I'm not, our managing agents are all great, you know, I'm not I'm pointing any fingers, but I think and it's, it's almost the point about the industry. It's, it's sort of, getting people to say um you know we've got to find new we've got to find uh things slightly differently um and try to kind of recognize that um what we've done in the past isn't going to be kind of what we've got to do in the future we've got we've got to change and we've got to um um find the, the new path if you like that's the thing really that's a, a great question to end on then well listen i just wanted to thank all of our panelists so malcolm vicky and sophie for joining us today and for giving up their time in a very busy and unusual circumstances so thank you very much and i'd also like to thank all of the uh, people who joined us we hope you found this both useful and interesting thank you very much everyone and i uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your days talking real estate with maples teasdale the law firm where real estate really matters.